Have you read my best-selling book, Keto Clarity, and still have trouble trying to figure out this ketogenic thing? Then let me introduce you to my latest project called Keto Clarity Academy. Visit the website ketoclarityacademy.com where we're making low-carb simple. This program is designed to help the average everyday person struggling with health issues, weight gain, and just needs a clearer understanding of what keto is all about. Our goal is to simply teach practical ways to implement a whole foods nutritional ketogenic diet for optimizing both weight loss and health. We have various services available to you, including classes on ketogenic diets based on Keto Clarity. We also have one-on-one support and consultation mentoring, as well as a 24-hour texting with an instructor. Again, go to ketoclarityacademy.com and sign up now to find your clarity about keto. Keto Clarity Academy. Do you struggle to get nutrient-dense organic vegetables into your ketogenic diet? Then let me introduce you to Dr. Cowan's Garden. Visit drcowansgarden.com, D-R-C-O-W-A-N-S-G-A-R-D-E-N.com. And be sure to use the coupon code JIMMY at checkout. You'll get 20% off of your first order. So what is Dr. Cowan's Garden? They are powders that make it easy for people to diversify their vegetable consumption, which is a key to optimal health. Some of the powders are made from plants that are difficult, if not impossible, to find in stores or farmer's market that are much more nutritious for you, such as perennial greens, astiba, sea vegetables, and so much more. The purpose is to help people eat a wide variety of plants, and they've made it so easy with Dr. Cowan's Garden. The vegetables are cooked prior to dehydration to reduce their anti-nutrients and to increase nutrient absorption. They dehydrate the vegetables on low heat to preserve the nutrients and then they store these powders in Miron jars, which prevent the aging wavelengths of light from penetrating so that the powders stay more flavorful and aromatic over time. I personally love the leeks, and I think you will love Dr. Cowan's Garden as well. Again, go to drcowansgarden.com, and don't forget to use the coupon code JIMMY at checkout to get 20% off of your first order. Dr. Cowan's Garden. Coming up in episode 1325, an LLVLC classic with Dr. Kirk Parsley. Connecting and educating and making the world a more informed and healthier place. You're listening to the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show with Jimmy Moore. You've helped change so many lives and give us all the courage to take on the rest of the world. This is the longest running health podcast on the air today. You've done so much to spread the word about how diet matters. Over 1,000 episodes strong and counting. The amount of lives that you've changed at this point is incalculable. And now, here's our host and international best-selling author you're like the ll cool j of podcasting jimmy moore hey hey guys it's jimmy moore here with another llvlc show classic episode and how many of you get very poor sleep yeah a lot of us do and so i like to interview people on the live in la vida low carb show 
uh, about a wide variety of topics besides just diet, and sleep seems to be one of those topics that a lot of people struggle with. So I got a sleep expert on here named Dr. Kirk Parsley, who actually is a former Navy SEAL and developed this uh, concoction, I'll say, this cocktail to help the Navy SEALs get better sleep so they could perform better. And he's got a whole lot of information about people who eat a ketogenic diet and their needs for sleep that was quite interesting that I thought I would share here today on this LLVLC show classic episode from Dr. Kirk Parsley. Welcome back to the Living La Vida Low Carb Show with Jimmy Moore. And today I'm very privileged to have here on the podcast a gentleman by the name of Dr. Kirk Parsley. He's got a great website, docparsley.com. That's D-O-C-P-A-R-S-L-E-Y.com. He came on my radar screen. You know, it's all Rob Wolf's fault, Kirk, because <laughs> he put up on his website about your TEDx Reno talk called America's Biggest Problem. And we're going to talk about that here today here on the Living La Vida Low Carb Show. But you have uh, quite the background. And instead of kind of rattling off your whole background, I thought it'd be fun to have you kind of tell us your story a bit about how you became an MD um, and how, how nutrition and lifestyle kind of came into the picture, because that's not normally what happens to a lot of medical doctors. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be on the show. Uh, heard a lot about it and uh, followed it quite a, for quite a while. So, um, yeah, I guess a, a, a little about my story. I, I originally, um, you know, had no interest in, in medicine or anything like that when I was a, when I was a young buck, and I got out of uh, high school. Actually, uh, actually dropped out of high school to join the Navy to go become a Navy SEAL. And oh wow! What I wanted to do with my life and. Uh, so I didn't need any, uh, stupid book learning because I was, <laughs> I was just going to go, you know, learn how to blow things up and shoot people and whatever. So, uh, that's, that's what I, uh, did right out of high school. And then when I was, uh, after I'd been a student for a while, I sort of realized that was, um, a young single man's job and I was quickly becoming neither. So, uh, I decided, to go into some other stuff, and I'd always, you know, I've always been an athlete, and I've always had interest in athletic uh, performance and enhancing my own performance. And um, my uh, fiance was in grad school for physical therapy at the time, and I thought I would do that. And I uh, started uh, working at San Diego Sports Medicine Center, where I got mentored by a bunch of docs, and uh, you know, there was a healthcare mecca. We had every kind of health profession there, and then they, uh, you know, they talked me into becoming a doctor. So I went back into the military to attend their school in Bethesda. Uh, the military has its own medical school uh, called Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences because that just flows off your tongue. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I went there. Um, you know, did some did some more training after medical school, and ended up going back to the SEAL teams as their doctor. Right. Um, and got there at an opportune time. Uh, just uh, had the opportunity to be a, a major player in developing the very first sports medicine facility this coast, uh, the West Coast, had ever seen. Nice SEALs, and uh, you know, thought you know, had it all wrapped up. I was smart on sports medicine. I was smart on. Uh, you know, orthopedics and, uh, you know, hired a bunch of people, you know, 
to do all that work, and then I was pretty much the least qualified guy uh, in the sports medicine clinic at that point. And um, because I was sort of a known agent and trusted to to the SEALs, a lot of them came up and talked to me about uh, things that they wouldn't ordinarily talk to their healthcare providers about. Um, and you know, a lot of it was you know looking. Uh, looking and sounding like uh, metabolic syndrome, although these guys were uh, apparently uh, lean and healthy when you looked at them. Right. Uh, even a even a fat seal is a pretty lean guy <laughs> by by most people's standards. Sure. Um, and uh, so I, I just started kind of digging around and going, okay, well, what's you know what's going on in their lifestyle that's that's not. Um, consistent with what was going on when I was a SEAL because these problems didn't seem to exist and of course they're post 9-11 and more combat and all that stuff um, but I came across sleep as just being um, probably one of the major things going on with these guys and you know in medical school they don't teach you anything about sleep um, and uh, they obviously they teach you very little about nutrition yeah. as well and they teach you <laughs> nothing about exercise and all those you know all the sort of the staples for maintaining health and optimizing health I didn't know anything about um, so I just had to start educating myself and it was uh, you know I was in a great position I could call up world-renowned experts on anything and say hey I work with the SEALs and I'm trying to learn about what you do and they're always more than willing to help me out um, and then I did some proctorships and some you know integrative functional medicine training and so on and so forth um, you know but basically what I found um, was that sleep was this was a major staple in, in overall health, and that it's it's so pervasive, uh, it's underestimated underestimated by everyone, in my opinion. Why? Um, even even sleep researchers just kind of get into their little nick, uh, their little you know their little niche, their little nook and cranny of, of the sleep research. But when you look at sleep, it literally affects every single thing that you are trying to affect when you are doing things to optimize your health. So if you're trying to become more physically fit, sleep is a major factor in how well you'll be able to perform physically, how likely you are to get injured. If you're trying to lose body weight, sleep is a huge, huge component in being able to lose body fat. You simply cannot be sleep deprived and lose body fat. Um, and and it, a lot of it has, shares the mechanism with something that I know you know a lot about is, is insulin sensitivity and insulin resistance. So yep. uh, as I alluded to in my sleep, uh, in my TED lecture, you know, there's really, really good science on sleep deprivation and insulin sensitivity. So if you, uh, you know, there was a great research project done. It's very simplistic. Um, very few variables had to be controlled for. They this clamp test on these people that really tested insulin sensitivity on young, healthy people, slept, you know, slept restrict them, restricted them for a few days. And then uh, you know, they had the metabolic profile of somebody who had metabolic syndrome, obesity, prediabetes. Um, and these were like young college kids. Um, you know, most sleep researchers don't even know that kind of stuff. Uh, but you know, even if you just want to be the smartest guy in the boardroom, you know, you're you're an executive. Uh, your prefrontal cortex, which is all of your executive functioning, your working memory, your ability to plan, your ability to estimate the outcomes of what you're current actions are likely to be. That's all prefrontal cortex and that's all hugely impacted by sleep. Yeah. So 
I mean, uh, yeah, we also know that if you mildly sleep deprived people, you know, uh, you know, we were affecting leptin, we're affecting ghrelin levels, we're affecting insulin sensitivity. We know people eat way more uh, when they're sleep deprived. Carb cravings hit uh, hard. Yeah, yeah, the cravings hit really hard. There, there was a recent study I saw about they actually took obese people and sleep restricted obese people, and just in five days, these obese people gained five pounds. Yeah. Uh, with the and same diet, probably. The, with the same diet, yeah. <laughs> and so, so they, uh, so we're like, okay, well, it, you, you can. It, it's not like you just get broken and then you hit that status quo. It's like once you're broken, less sleep still breaks you more. Um, and so I, you know, I ended up doing a lot of lectures around this, and I talked a lot about performance and how it affects how sleep affects sex hormones, the adrenal hormones, and recovery and inflammation and cognitive functioning and you know all of this stuff. Um, and of course, you know, knowing that testosterone is secreted during deep sleep and growth hormone is secreted during deep sleep, these were big motivators for SEALs um, because they want to be as anabolic as possible. And so I started doing, uh, you know, quite a few lectures at quite a few events, and that led to other lecture gigs. And I ran into Rob Wolf at one of them, you know, three or four years ago. and. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was familiar with his work. A lot of SEALs follow his podcast and stuff. And, you know, he says, well, you know, I'm the nutrition guy that talks about sleep. And I said, well, I'm the sleep guy that talks about nutrition. So, you know, we should, we should chat. Um, and so that just kind of led to, um, you know, I guess an unrolling of a yet to be determined, uh, you know, career in this, in this, uh, ancestral health world. Yeah. So what's going on with sleep? Doc, I mean, it, it seems like people want to sleep no, more. I don't think people are out there purposefully saying, oh, I'm only going to sleep five or six hours a night and that's going to be good for me. <laughs> I don't think that that's kind of the mentality. I think people want to get that obligate eight to nine hours that that I, I guess everybody says is really good. Um, what's going on there? Why, why aren't people sleeping better? Well, I mean, that's. That's a heavy, heavy philosophical question. Um, By design, <laughs> and, and I can and I can tell you that I my uh, you know the, my clients and uh, and even you know, when I was with the military, uh, the SEALs that I worked with, I got out of the military in January of thirteen. Um, but uh, you know, they they usually fall into two categories. Um, there's the insomniacs who they have the opportunity to sleep enough and they can't get enough sleep. Um, now that doesn't always mean that there's a sleep disorder. A lot of the times that's uh, prioritization. It's the room setup. It's sleep hygiene. It's diets affecting it. There's all sorts of uh, things you can do there. Um, but then I'd say a bigger cohort and the people I spend most of my time beating my head against a wall with right now, if you look at, you know, sea level executives and so forth, They've just designed their lives to be so busy that they can't fathom wasting eight hours in bed, uh, and that's literally the term they'll use. I can't waste that much. No, I can't waste that much time. You know, I have clients in wherever, and I have to get up at this time to meet their time zones, and I have this obligation and that obligation. And then you have, you know, the stay-at-home moms who, uh, you know, they have to take care of all of the domestic house duties and then they got to run their kids to this event and that event and help them with homework and do the dishes and you know get them ready for bed and all this stuff and then you know then they have to live their own life and spend some time with their husband and follow up on their emails and a lot of them have little side jobs that they're trying to you know 
sell jewelry on the side or whatever and they just say I, I just don't have the time and it's the same thing you hear for exercise the same excuse you hear for nutrition I don't have enough time to do this the right way right so so you know th- there's a watershed point there on you know, my my first uh, my first order of action is to get people to value sleep if they don't already value it once people do value sleep um, if they come to me and they say, hey, I really want to get sleep and I have plenty of opportunity to get enough sleep, they're a totally, totally different client. Um, and I can tell you, though, unfortunately, that is the exception. And, and I think it has a lot to do with the media portrayal of, uh, you, know, and, you know, just the colloquial portrayal of, of the hard-charging, super successful people that, you know, like Donald Trump, who says he only sleeps four hours a night and, you know, gets the edge on his competition that way and, you know, I had an English teacher in the 11th grade, and she used to brag about how she only slept three to four hours a night. So she'd be up late reading until like two or three in the morning and then be up at six and and be wide awake. But she always had like these really like bright eyes. It's like, is she drinking 100 cups of coffee to stay awake? I didn't know what was yeah. going on with her. You know, um, it, that's, that brings up a good point. There's, I mean, there's this... Uh, there, there's, there's been a couple of research um, trials on this to figure out, you know, does everybody need the same amount of sleep? Or there's not a couple of, there's hundreds of those, but there's been a couple, you know, really looking at genetic markers. And one was published recently, and and it was portrayed as like, you know, the sleep gene. If we can just turn this off, you won't need to sleep, kind of uh, thing, and the media hype. And and what it showed, um, what what the study really showed, and which is almost ubiquitously um, misinterpreted. It didn't show that anybody was optimal or performed really at their optimal levels with sleep deprivation. What they did show is that there's a genetic component to how much you suffer after sleep deprivation. Right. So some people are simply more resilient to it. And it's no different than you know something like carbohydrates, right? Just like, like nutrition, people, yeah. Yeah. So some people can eat ten carb you know, ten grams of carbs a day and you know, get fat off of that. And some people can eat, you know, 300 grams of carbon day and stay lean. Like, right. I mean, there's, uh, there's, there is genetic variation, but what we do know is that just like nutrition, we know that a higher fat, moderate protein, lower carbohydrates, and especially, you know, simple refined carbohydrates and all that stuff. We know if we get rid of those that you're healthier and lots of metrics besides just your body fat and the sleep is the same way. Yes, some people may suffer less, and your English teacher was one of them. Yeah. My physics professor in college was one of them, um, and you know he just thought, well, everybody who sleeps more than four or five hours are just lazy; they just can't get themselves out of bed. Um, but I can tell you, I I bought into that, and I slept four or five hours a night for probably six to seven years. Wow! And uh, it destroyed me. I mean, it, it, I allude to you know I talked to about some of that in my TED talk, but I mean. I was just a train wreck, and uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to say that I, I figured it all out to help myself, but it was really uh, helping the seals um, with their sleep issues that made me reflect on, well, man, some of this really seems like it, it applies to me as well. And you know, miraculously, I started sleeping more and actually getting more done and enjoying yeah. my days better, and my workouts were better, and I was I stayed leaner and I could perform, you know, for a longer period of time and. I didn't suffer from lots of things that I was suffering from on a chronic basis when I was sleep deprived. Um, you know, and, and I, uh, you know, I, I even got diagnosed with ADD in medical school, which um, 
you know, had a great physician, very experienced guy. Like, uh, you know, he'd been practicing medicine over 40 years. He knew I slept four or five hours a night. He mm-hmm. never made any correlation between it. Wow. But there's great research that um, you really shouldn't make a diagnosis and a diagnosis of ADHD in a child or an adult, for that matter, unless they're sleeping adequately, because you know sleep deprivation impairs the frontal cortex just like ADHD does, and that's essentially what ADHD is. It's an impaired prefrontal cortex, and right. if you know sleep is messing that up, or not sleeping is messing that up, you can't really make that diagnosis until you, know, you get past that. So let's define terms. What is sleeping adequately? Well, the the general number thrown out there by most, uh, I guess, most committees. If you look at uh, Western medicine committees, the general the number generally thrown out is seven and a half hours, okay. plus or minus thirty minutes. So, you know, anywhere from seven to eight hours of actual sleep. That's not time in bed. That's actual sleep time. Right. Um, and, and the sweet spot really seems to be a little more towards the seven and a half to eight than the seven and a half. Than the seven, seven to seven, seven and a half. half. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like anything else, um, you know, it's like asking what's, you know, what's the optimal amount of exercise? Right. Well, it's going to vary. It's going to vary. And your yeah. sleep from night to night will vary. My wife, Christine, things- so needs more sleep than I do. I can get away with that seven to eight, but she needs nine. Yeah. And some people are just that way. Um, and, and as, you know, as long as, uh, people are scheduling their lives around that time, you know, there's, um, there's some people out there saying, well, you know, sleeping longer, um, predisposes you to death as well. Like earlier mortality <laughs> is associated with longer sleep. Well, there are and, diminishing returns, um, I would think at, at some point. Yeah, there, there definitely is. And so, um, you know, something that you have to look at though is, you know, when people are when people can actually sleep for um, you know nine nine hours, let's say eight and a half plus hours, when people can consistently sleep that way, usually there's usually there's a comorbidity, right? Usually they have uh, maybe they're dealing with depression. They might have some serious metabolic issue that's causing them to be tired. I mean, they could have just outright disease, right? Because they don't the the surveys don't screen for this. So, I mean, you, you could be including cancer patients who are going undergoing chemotherapy or something, right? right. Obviously, they're going to sleep more. Um, but, you know, when, when you look at the, uh, the overall picture and you say, if we know people have paid back their sleep debt, and that's the other thing I was going to say, you know, if you don't have some comorbidity, you might have a sleep debt. Uh, which is just like a credit card debt. Right. You've underslept for a long period of time. You, you have to catch that back up. Dan Pardee uh, talks about that in his work. Yeah, and there's some great there's some great research on this that's been reproduced so many times that it's it's just beyond question at this point. Uh, you can if you sleep adapt people. So you you take people who have the luxury of doing a month of research with you, um, and you put them in a dark room with no stimulus and just a bed and a nightstand and a toilet essentially uh, and they will sleep on average you put them in a dark room for 14 hours a day and then let them out for 10 hours a day to do whatever they want and then you do the same thing again the average American will sleep about 12 and a half hours at the wow. beginning of those um, but what happens is they catch up uh, yeah, long, long about week three or four, they pay back their sleep debt and they start sleeping only seven and a half hours a night, which is amazing 
because that means they're sitting in a completely non-stimulated room in the dark for six and a half hours per night and not sleeping. Yeah, six and a half hours a day, which would be a which would be very hard for almost anybody to do <laughs> unless you've unless you've completely caught up on your sleep like that. So you know when when people ask me, you know, wh- what if I sleep nine hours here and there? I'm like, well. You know, if you sleep deprive yourself for a while and then you have to sleep nine hours to pay back some of that sleep debt, then it's okay. And go do it, right? Yeah. Um, I, it's all about it's all about fixing it. You know, one night of short sleep changes over seven hundred gene expressions, right? The epigenetic wow. expression over over seven hundred variables are affected. Um, you know, one night of sleep, one night of short sleep. Um, reduces insulin sensitivity by about 30%. You know, ra- it raises fasting insulin levels and fasting blood glucose levels. Um, you know, it affects your cognition. You know, it's like six uh, six hours a night of sleep for 11 nights in a row is the same as being legally drunk. When you look at um, cognitive uh, neurocognitive performance and reaction time and coordination and all that. Um, you know, the, there's inflammatory markers in your brain um, that increase with a single night of short sleep that are the same things that we find when people have traumatic brain injuries. Um, so we think that it probably is a, you know, predisposes you to, to uh, cognitive um, decline and cognitive atrophy. Um, so, it, and then, you know, the, the uh, CDC even classifies um, shift work as being carcinogenic. Yeah. Because we know that it, you're at an increased risk of cancer, but you're also at an increased risk of cardiovascular disease and uh, any type of inflammatory disease that you can possibly imagine. I saw a drug then, ad the other day on, I was watching Hulu Plus, and they had a drug ad about uh, working the third shift, and they were calling it some syndrome, that this is some disease that you have to take this <laughs> pill. And, of course, the pill is a sleeping pill, but it was it was just right. funny that they were identifying the the shift work disease uh and that this pill is what's needed i'm going hmm i don't think yeah. so <laughs> well it's 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 like you know when i when i started first working with the seal teams and i, I found out that about 75 percent of of the seals um and that's a rough estimation. I mean, I don't have data on that. Um, but you know, somewhere around 75% of the SEALs were using Ambien mm. on a regular basis. Uh, uh, some of them had been using it every night for years. Some wow. of them had been using four times the recommended dosage every night for years and drinking alcohol to get to sleep. Oh, wow. Uh, and then, of course, needing stimulants the next day to stay awake, um, to stay productive. Um, and that's not the same kind of sleep, is it? No, not at all. Drug so induced, when yeah. When, yeah, when you're when you use the sleep drugs and like that commercial you're alluding to and what I always told my patients is I'm like, well, look, you know, I'm I'm looking at all your lab parameters and you definitely have a testosterone deficiency and some thyroid deficiencies and you know, uh, maybe some uh, PM cortisol deficiencies and you know, all these things that I can measure. Uh, you don't have an ambient gland, so I'm pretty sure it's not an ambient <laughs> deficiency that we need to work on here. Um, so let's work on all these other things. If right. you can't fix all these, and then see if sleep magically fixes itself, and it does, of course. Um, yeah, and when you know when I dug into the research, and you look at, of course, pharma gets to cherry pick their data to you know to. To, uh, present their case to the FDA right. and all this, but if you look at sleep drugs, they're really ineffective. Um, just like just like uh, antidepressants are really ineffective. You know, exercise and bright light therapy outperforms um, antidepressants by a long shot, and has in every research trial, but they still approve the drugs. Um, 
but you know, the sleep drugs are the same thing. You you start looking at it, um, it increases uh, the total amount of sleep, as they call it, by about thirty-seven minutes per night. Wow. Um, but you don't get any deep sleep at all. Like you right. don't get any stage three sleep, which is where your growth hormone and uh, growth hormone and testosterone are being secreted, and when your immune system is functioning at its highest, and you're doing all the physiological repair to your body, you aren't getting to that level. Is that the REM, REM sleep? It, and then your REM is reduced by about 80%, which uh-huh. is where we think a lot of the neurotransmitters rebalancing is coming from, the pruning, formation, and categorization of memories, making right. new connections between old ideas and all that stuff, um, and getting your brain ready to be able to cognitively thrive the next day. We think that's primarily the function of REM sleep, which is you get more of that in the later stages of sleep, the later in the night you go. Um, but even... Even that, on sleep drugs, you get about 20% of normal REM. Um, so it's really more analogous to being unconscious. And what and I always tell people in my lecture, you know, if, if a guy stands up in the front row and I hit him in the head with a baseball bat, none of you would say, look, he fell asleep. <laughs> the guy's knocked out. He's unconscious, right? Right. Um, and if we do an EEG on him, his brain would look like he's unconscious. And when you take sleep drugs and we do an EEG on you, you look like you've been knocked unconscious. Wow. Uh, you don't look like you're sleeping. There's no normal sleep architecture in there, or very little of it, I should say. So it's not restorative sleep whatsoever. Um, and then you know, people become psychologically addicted to that, those drugs um, just you know, because that really becomes their sleep ritual and their sleep hygiene is all it's about their taking the right pills at the right time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and that obviously, uh, you know, they were never that they were never that effective to begin with. Uh, but obviously, they, they decline in efficacy the longer you take them. So, right. um, you know, most of that's most of that's just a psychological dependent that's been built on it, which is which is real. And not I'm not saying that flippantly, so that sure. it doesn't exist. It's so, still real, but it's the wrong reason. So, Kirk, you, you mentioned about the bright light therapy, and I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because I don't think people put the value in getting light during the daytime for their effectiveness at being as, being able to sleep well at night, that whole circadian rhythm thing. And I had to learn this the hard way because I was having trouble sleeping maybe five or six hours a night in uh, 2012. And I started making sure early in the day, I got really bright sunshine uh, and, and really bright light, and especially into my eye, now obviously not looking directly at the sun, but making sure that sunlight was getting somewhat into the eyeball early in the day. And then when the sun went down, making sure all the devices are turned way down and all that uh, you know light that people turn on all their lights at night. And I'm going, how do you... How do you sleep at night if you have all those lights on? Your body thinks it's still daytime. So uh, tell us about that bright light therapy. Yeah, so um, that that bright light therapy has been around for a while. Mm -hmm. There's actually a division of biology now called chronobiology where they they pretty much just study the circadian rhythm and the circadian shifts and what's what's leading to these shifts and how we can mitigate effects of them and so on and so forth. and something that uh, something that just became a byproduct of the research was a lot of people testing bright light therapy on inpatient psychiatrics. Um, so people with schizophrenia or you know such a major depressive mood disorder that they literally just can't function in life. Um, and they found uh, they found that people who uh, 
people who have psychotic breaks or people who become depressed actually have a prodrome period. So before they get sick, they have a period of where they're sleeping a lot less. Now, we don't know, right, is, has, is their brain making changes that's preventing them from sleeping or is it the sleep deprivation that's leading to this, which is coming first, A or B? Or yes. I can't say. <laughs> yeah. Um, or any of the C through Zs that are in there, you know, that, that we haven't controlled for. There's all sorts of ways to think about that. So we found a really good correlation with that. Um, and, you know, the normal circadian rhythm is about um, 23 and a half hours a day and that and, and it's actual light exposure that keeps you in sync with your environment. Um, and by and large, that's your adrenal function. So, um, you know, one of the cues for your body to be awake is having light coming into your eyes um, and specifically uh, blue light. Um, and my guess of that is because the sky's blue, but nobody knows for sure. Uh, but, you know, blue light, highly refractive, there's lots of that around. Um, that going into your eyes stimulates an area uh, in your brain to say, hey, this is the time to be awake. And all sorts of wake-promoting hormones or neurotransmitters are being produced. And your adrenal function ramps up, and your adrenal function is what keeps you alert in proportion with your environment. So... If you're sitting around reading a book, uh, and you hear a lot of people talking about cortisol levels. Um, just, that's just one of the adrenal markers, but it's an easy one to measure adrenal function by because it's uh, big and it lasts and easy to find in the bloodstream and all this stuff. Um, but if you look at that as a general marker for your adrenal function, if you're sitting around reading a book, your adrenal function isn't really high. Uh, somebody breaks in your front door with a shotgun and starts asking for all your jewelry, your adrenal function goes into what we call fight or flight, right? Um, so you can actually induce adrenal function by putting more light in your eyes. And as you said, you don't want to stare directly into it. Right. Um, the, uh, the optimal sort of medical device set up for it is they put a, they put a 10,000 plus uh, uh, something called lux. It's a unit of light measurement. So 10,000 lux or higher. Uh, they put it up on the wall about 30 degrees above the line of sight. Um, and then you do, you know, you read or you stretch or you, you know, brush your teeth or, you know, whatever, whatever you're going to do. But you do this bright light therapy in the morning and it in, improves adrenal functions. And I, and I had the seals do the same thing. If they're getting up at you know, 7 p.m., they're getting out of bed at 7 p.m. to go on a, you know, two or three day mission and they have to get up and get ready to go out on this mission that, you know, they're going to actually probably start their infiltration at like midnight or something. Mm-hmm. You have these guys do a bunch of bright light therapy, loud noises, lots of movement, stretching, you know, these types of things will all stimulate adrenal function and sort of trick your body into believing now's the time to be awake. And with good adrenal function, with high enough adrenal function, you can stay awake all day. Uh, but when you start running into adrenal fatigue and your adrenals quit being able to keep up with your demand for being awake, um, that's you know, that's when the wheels come off the wagon, as Rob always says. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's usually when people come to see me is just like they're just they're just dead. They're living the same life routine they've always lived, but they just can't just can't seem to perform anymore in, in any aspect. Yeah. So I'm all about practicality here on this show. I want to make sure people hear a message and can apply something today. So if someone is out there struggling, I'm looking on your website. You got this sleep cocktail. <laughs> Tell us about that. What, what, what can people do to help get some better sleep? 
Well, the, the sleep cocktail is a long, long project in the making. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I... Uh, it, it's actually just a formulation of uh, over-the-counter supplements that I ended up putting together piece by piece when I started working with the seals. The first thing that I determined is that all the seals are vitamin D, uh, D3 deficient. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you know, that's, that's obvious. They work at night. They sleep during the day. When they are outside, they're oftentimes covered from head to toe in gear and camouflage and all this. So they're not getting sun exposure. They're vitamin D3 deficient. It's interfering with their sleep. There I solved it. I'm a genius. Um, and of course it worked a little bit and then I said, oh, well, it looks like you need magnesium for every vitamin D3 reaction. So let's add a little natural calm in there. And so I just slowly pieced this whole thing together and it just, you know, it just ended up being called unofficially the Doc Parsley sleep cocktail. <laughs> uh, and that, it was just known that way in the SEAL team. So, um, you know, when I decided to, to put it out there on the market so that people didn't have to go buy, you know, 10 different bottles of you know, from this, you know, get some from this store and some from that store and, you know, 60 days supply this and 30 days supply this. And it was just a, you know, a pain in the butt for them to use. So I said, well, I want to, I want to make one, one product where you can get it all. And uh, that led into basically a two year foray into learning about the supplement business and industry and trying to work out some deals with supplement companies. And it's been a mess. And I only a few months ago, I've just halted everything and said, I'm just going to redo it myself, and uh, I'm just going to start from scratch and build it up myself, and if I sell out in the first month, then everybody will just have to wait until the next <laughs> month or whatever. Um, so that that's definitely a viable option that, that will improve sleep quality and duration for, for just about anybody, but you know, if I wanted to give you some actionable steps, the first thing I would I would tell people is if you don't value sleep, do some research, get online, you know, watch my talk, and then just feed off of that you can go to a hundred different topics off of that talk yeah um as, as to you know go down the rabbit hole what interests you figure out how bad sleep is impacting you and you know get to where you value sleep that would be my number one recommendation yeah value You're already value yeah i was gonna say um, value value sleep but then once you value sleep deal with the things that are preventing you from sleeping well yes like Brene brown always says you know how to doesn't work and so you talk about what's getting in the way. Right. Uh, and one of the things getting in the way is all the bright lights on your television. And oh, my gosh. And your computer screen <laughs> and the bright lights in your house. Yeah. And people trying to work literally, you know, work on their computer literally right up until the minute they go to sleep. You know, they have their notebook on their lap, you know, typing away with their lamp lit next to them. And they think they're just going to close this and go to sleep. Only if you're completely exhausted, right? Um, <laughs> or you turn so, the light down on it really low. By, by the time I'm about to go to sleep within a half an hour, it's all the way already all the way down on my iPad. I, I, I mean, it's at the darkest it can be without being black. Yeah, and there's that program for computers, F-Lux. Yep. Um, I have nothing to do with those guys, but um, yeah, they'll you set your time zone and it will actually take the blue light out of your screen. Oh, that's cool. Down. Um, and you can... You can do that on iPhones and some other, uh, the other phones, I think, as well. Nice. Um, somebody told me you had to have jailbreak on your iPhone to get it. <laughs> I don't know if that's true with, I, with the 6. Um, but things like that, uh, you know, lowering the, lowering the brightness of the screen, at least, like you're talking about. Um, and most televisions have the same kind of things now. Right. You have warm settings and theater settings and so yep. forth. Um, diminish the amount of light going into your eyes before bed. 
two to three hours before bed. You can just wear gaming glasses, the same thing that gamers use to help with their eye fatigue. The yellow ones. Yeah. yeah. What those are doing is have an argon coating that are, is blocking the blue light from going in your eyes. So um, you can diminish that. You can you know, wear gaming glasses around a normally lit place uh, or even use computers or whatever because you're still blocking the blue light. Did you see that article then, with Nom Nom Paleo recently and they showed her with her uh, blue blocker glasses on at night watching television? It was yeah, cool. I, I, I think she sent me a copy of that. You know, yeah. blue, blocker, blue blockers was actually... Uh, successfully sued really for this very for this very reason because uh, all these elderly people were wearing these blue blocking sunlight uh, sunglasses around because uh, you remember when they first came out they looked just these horrible yeah they're plasticky things yeah. <laughs> um, and and pretty much just elderly people wore them over over their glasses but they were falling asleep at the wheel and having increased accidents oh, wow falls and all sorts of stuff because they didn't it was shutting down their adrenal function <laughs> wow so yeah, so, so my interventions would be, um, you know, value sleep if you don't already, decrease the amount of light going in your eyes before you go to bed, and then, you know, make a ritual out of going going to bed, um, which means the same bedtime and same wake time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, make your, make your bedroom a completely dark, electronic-free place. You don't do anything in your bed except have sex or sleep. You can have sex elsewhere, but you can't sleep elsewhere. Right. Uh, you just sleep in the, you know, that once you go in the bedroom, that's what it's for. You make it completely dark. I tell people not even to have alarm clocks. Yeah, even that little bitty light. I, I have like a little yeah. air purifier thing, and there's a little bitty blue light that lights up, and it's got an ability to kind of dim all but one of those lights, but I still see that blue light, so even try to cover that up or something. Yeah, you know... Uh, Actually, my wife and I, we, we do quite a bit of traveling for lectures and stuff, and we usually travel with aluminum foil. Wow. Uh, so that we can wrap them around all the stuff in the hotel room. That's smart. All, all the electronics now have, like, you know, all the electronics now have lights to tell us that they're off. <laughs> for, for <laughs> yeah, I know. Isn't that weird? It's, yeah, so it's a strange concept. Uh, but what we do at home is, you know, you can go to Home Depot and you can buy, um, I don't know what it's called, but, you know, but it, what it, it, what it's designed for is a roofing material. Um, so it's basically aluminum foil on one side and yeah. adhesive on the other side. And you just get little squares of that tape and you just like put it over all the little blue lights. Or electric or tape or paint, yeah. paint tape would probably do the same thing. Yeah, as long as the light doesn't come through it, whatever yeah. works. But make a completely dark room, decrease the light in your eyes before, you know, hours, at least two, three hours before you go to bed. Um, How about melatonin? That's kind of a controversial one. Melatonin can help. So what melatonin does is decrease adrenal function. Yeah. Uh, So that's the normal thing that happens when the sun goes down and you do decrease the light in your eyes. uh, Then your brain increases the production of melatonin. And some other things happen in the brain, but the increase of melatonin then shuts down adrenal function and helps you, you know, get to a lower a lower level of interaction with your environment that allow you to go to sleep. Um, but melatonin is almost always overdosed. Uh, so from the time the sun goes down until the time you wake up, your yeah. brain only produces about 300 micrograms of melatonin. So if you go take five milligrams of melatonin, uh, <laughs> you know, you're, you're taking 15 times more than you need. Wow. Um, and it'll, and it'll, basically go in and out of your system really quickly and it may shut down your adrenal function for a little bit uh, but then it doesn't 
it doesn't keep it suppressed for very long, so people generally wake up after that. But the other problem is, like any other hormone, like if I if I give you an injection of testosterone uh, every day, you're gonna you're not only you're gonna quit making your own testosterone, you'll quit responding to testosterone. All your right. testosterone receptors go away, and the same thing happens with overdosing on melatonin. So you can really get in a mess with that. Yeah. Um, when when I do prescribe melatonin for my patients, I do it um, from a compounding pharmacy, and I do a sustained release, two to three hundred microgram pill that releases that over about twelve hours. Um, and if you need more than that, there's probably something else going, probably something else going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so th- that one helps at a at a really low dose. Um, magnesium is a natural muscle relaxer, and it, it can help in other ways. Um, so, so, you know, there's always a few supplements to throw in there. I I don't get into the herbs and roots and all that stuff just because I don't know about that. I'm not educated enough to give my you know, to give a, um, a definitive opinion on that stuff. Sure. But um, you know, things like valerian root or menta. You know, calm me down and so on and so forth. Um, but you know, my my interventions always are. Uh, I start with the sleep hygiene. I, I get people to value sleep. I get them to make their room completely dark. I get them to get rid of the electronics. If you wake up in the middle of the night, you guess what? You don't have a clock in your room, so you can't look at your <laughs> clock, right? If you need an alarm clock, that alarm clock goes in the drawer next to you, right? Or it's covered up to where you can't see it. Because as soon as you see that alarm clock. You'll start doing mental math. Uh, you'll start thinking, well, if I'm sleep, if I go back to sleep right now, I'll get this much sleep, and then I and I have all this to do. And you start worrying about your ability to perform the next day if you don't get back to sleep. And now you can't go to sleep because you've started waking yourself up with stress, and your adrenal function is coming up, and your body's going, well, maybe it's time to be awake now. So you start, you know, you start producing all the hormones to promote wakefulness, and now you're trying to go to sleep, and you're brain's trying to go to sleep and your body's trying to make you awake and uh, it leads into a big battle so um, you know I, I tell people don't have that clock it doesn't matter just say commit to yourself that you're <laughs> going to you're going to be in bed these hours right until your alarm clock goes off you don't need to know what time it is um, and then you know something that I also have people do very frequently is I have them make I make them have them make two lists a to-do list and a to-worry list. Right? <laughs> um, the to-worry list is all the stuff that you can't do anything about, but you're going to worry about it anyway. <laughs> you know you're going to worry about it. So let's put it on the list so that you won't forget to worry about that tomorrow. Oh, that's and the funny. To-do list is, the to-do list is self-explanatory. Uh, and you make that list um, preferably an hour or more before you go to bed so that you're not inducing worry before you go to bed. And you put that in your nightstand, and if you forgot really something, something really important to worry about, then you can get up and you can put that on that list. And what you'll find over time is that your list doesn't seem to change very much. <laughs> um, so that it, making that list, that two-part list, is half the battle. The other half of the battle is admitting to yourself that the very best you will ever be at handling that list is after a good night's sleep. So right. go get your good night's sleep and then worry about all this stuff and get all these things done. Oh, that's funny. Don't spend, don't spend <laughs> your time before bed worrying about them. Don't spend your time before bed trying to plan what's going to go the next day. It's kind of like being drunk. At the end of the day, you're performing almost like you're drunk. <laughs> uh, so you wouldn't want to write out an action plan and a business plan when you're drunk. 
but people tend Some to, do. to go to bed. <laughs> yeah, people go to bed and they're like, you know what? I'm I got to get this done and that done tomorrow. So here's my plan. This is what I'm going to do. And they start planning out their day, and then they wake up in the middle of the night. Now they're worried. Oh crap! My plan's already falling apart. I'm not going to get enough sleep. Maybe if I don't go to the gym today, or if I, you know, I, should, I took a long shower yesterday. I don't need one. Yeah, like whatever, and and they start doing all this you know, renegotiation of the plan that they made. It was probably a bad plan to begin with. Um, so I tell those people, get up in the morning, you know, and you know, do your action items. Then you can do that with your first cup of coffee or whatever. Yeah. Um, so. Or when you wake up in the morning, just put on Bobby McFerrin's Don't Worry, Be Happy. <laughs> exactly. But get some bright light in there. And exactly. And dance around the house a little bit. Jump up and down. There you yeah, go. Jump up and down and scream a little. And, <laughs> and you'll be plenty awake. His name um, is Dr. Kirk Parsley, and he's got a great website. Check it out, docparsley.com. That's D-O-C-P-A-R-S-L-E-Y.com. And for sure, check out his TEDx talk, America's Biggest Problem. And as you can tell from our conversation today, that is sleep. He also had a really cool podcast they did at Paleo FX this year, one quick way to naturally increase testosterone with the Barbell Schroth guys. So we'll have a link to that video as well. Uh, did you have something else you wanted to say? Uh, no. Um, people can also uh, check out Rob Wolf's podcast, or it's actually on my site, but uh, all the podcasts I've done pretty much I, I post on my site. But yeah. I've done, I think, four with Rob as well. Yes. Yeah, so at the very top of docparsley.com, there's a podcast little button there just click on it and yeah you'll see where he's been on the paleo solution podcast multiple times well thanks so much kirk for being here today on the living la vida low carb show they're back and better than ever at jimmylovesfbomb.com they are the f-bomb company fat is smart fuel they have made some incredible products for the ketogenic community and they make keto easier they have products that include coconut oil macadamia nut oil, house blend, MCT oil, olive oil, avocado oil, macadamia nut butter with sea salt, macadamia nut butter without salt, coconut butter, macadamia nut butter blend. They also have salted chocolate macadamia nut butter. These are all available to you now at jimmylovesfbomb.com. And if you head on over there now and you use the coupon code jimmylovesfbomb, they'll give you 10% off of your first order jimmy loves fbomb.com hey guys we're back here with autumn and Chaz from paleovalley.com and if you don't know about them they have these amazing 100 grass-fed grass-finished beef sticks and they're going to tell you about these today autumn tell us a little more about paleo valley at paleo valley we pride ourselves in making the most nutrient-dense highest quality products out there and for that reason we use 100 grass-fed and grass-finished beef which is actually very very rare but research has shown that it has higher levels of vitamins and minerals a more favorable fatty acid ratio, which actually reduces inflammation, while conventional beef promotes inflammation, and it also has higher levels of antioxidants like glutathione. Yeah, and another thing just to add to that, the way that we process our sticks is incredibly unique. As far as we know, we're the only people that are doing this. We ferment them, so there's a little ingredient and a lot of beef sticks out there, even the healthy ones, called encapsulated citric acid. It's basically GMO-based, and it's wrapped in hydrogenated oil, and it's very inflammatory, not good for you. So instead, we ferment ours old 
world style. It allows us to make them shelf stable and preserves them without the use of that little crappy ingredient. As a result, there's 1 billion CFUs of probiotics. So there's actually some gut health benefits to it as well. Well, you heard it here first, you guys. They do it old school and they have four delicious flavors all for you at paleovalley.com. And if you use the coupon code Jimmy at checkout, you'll get 20% off your order. Paleo Valley. Hey, hey, guys, we're back here on the Livin' La Vida Low Carb Show with Jimmy Moore, and we're back yet again with a returning guest. You may remember back in episode 883, we had Dr. Kirk Parsley on talking all about putting the proper emphasis back on sleep again, and he's back here today to tell us a little bit about a product that he's developed to help uh, with the sleep and even more information about sleep that has come out in the past couple of years. Kirk, welcome back. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be back. Well, for people that don't remember you, uh, you're a former Navy SEAL, a medical doctor, and a sleep medicine specialist. And we were talking before we came on the air that sleep has kind of come on in a big way. Various people, very famous people, coming out with books about it. And we're seeing all sorts of products out there trying to help people maximize their sleep. Uh, Why do you think sleep has become kind of the health topic du jour? Well, I I mean, I... I, my guess is that you know probably people are uh, bored with with arguing about uh, nutrition. <laughs> uh, you know, no, I, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know they're not. Sadly, they're not. Uh, you know, I I think that you know, you know sleep was um, for a long time was just really was really overlooked by um, the population in general. It had a lot to do with sort of the, the American ethos of, you know, being hard and working harder than everybody else and your early riser, you know, the early bird gets the worm and that kind of stuff. Um, and it was almost considered a luxury and, and and I'm, I'm sure you've probably, you know, been in in that camp at some point in your life as like everybody else. I mean, and, and I've been in that camp myself, you know, um, obviously during SEAL training, obviously during medical school and medical, you know, post-medical school training and all that. Um, I think people, uh, you know, there, there's, you know, interestingly enough, the data has been around for decades about how important sleep is, but the data has been around for decades about <laughs> the, the diet that's been killing everybody too. So, Well, and uh, gut health it, has been out there yeah. for a long time, and yeah. yet it's just now getting uh, attention too. Exactly. So I, I guess it's just, you know, it's, it's time it's come, the right, you know, the right people, the right person has, has talked about it and, uh, you know, it, it's stemming interest. And, you know, unfortunately for some people, it's, uh, you know, the next thing to monetize on for, you know, for people who just kind of sell health uh, information all the time. Um, not that that's necessarily a bad thing, but, you know, that um, they don't always give the best advice, yeah. <laughs> as, as you know, in, in those situations. But, well, um yeah. Part, part of the elephant in the room here that nobody's talking about is why sleep has become more of a problem in recent years. And I argue it's two major things and see if you agree with these or not. I think the first thing, obviously, I think a crappy diet, crappy garbage filled diet, as I would call it, is causing a lot of sleep disruption uh, because of all the hormonal effects that are happening from that food. Uh, but then the second thing is the advent. Uh, thank you, Steve Jobs, of all these devices that are out there that's disrupting sleep. And thankfully we see Apple, for example, has now put in these uh, technology that does remove the blue light from their devices at night. It's a really cool update if you haven't done that on your iOS systems yet. Um, but you know, it seems like this is kind of a nice little one, two punch here in the past decade, decade and a half 
of where our our sleep has gotten worse and worse and worse and nobody noticed what do you think yeah i mean i i think you're i think you're spot on with with both of those in fact when i you know when i did uh, uh dr oz show that you know the producers talk to you and they say hey you know what sort of things would you like to talk about and you give them a bunch of ideas and they yep. say no 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 <laughs> And then, oh, yeah, we like that idea. And, and so what I ended up talking about was they wanted me to come up with a sleep diet. Yes. I'm like, okay, well, the sleep diet is a healthy diet. Like, that's pretty much it. So <laughs> Eat you know, paleo, eat real food, done. Like, eat real food, right? And, and so really what I talked about was just, of, of course, uh, blood glucose con- control, right? And, yeah. I, and, I, and I pointed out on the show, I was like, we know that uh, pre-diabetics, para-diabetics, and diabetics, uh, and especially poorly controlled diabetics, all have really poor sleep. It's not a big shocker when you you know know a little bit about the physiology of what's going on with you know blood glucose crashes and cortisol spikes and what keeps people awake and all that. So I think uh, I think as you talked about, like there are highly processed foods for sure, like all the refined carbohydrates for sure, all the you know high fructose corn syrup, all that crap that's just been wreaking havoc on our physiology in by and large. And it's in everything. And it's in everything. I mean, it's high fructose corn syrup is in ketchup and mustard. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, why the hell do you need fructose you know, and, and mustard? Like that blows yeah. me away. But, um, but you know, t- to your other point, I I, th- I think you're right in that things have gotten a lot worse. But really, when you look back historically, as to when Americans, uh, well, the Western world really started sleeping poorly was just post-industrialization. You know, yeah. when you once rural electrification hit and light bulbs were available and people could stay up and then televisions came on and people had you know something to do other than sleep it's been getting worse ever since and and in fact you know the these these devices do definitely make things worse our computers our televisions our iPhones our iPads like all these little gadgetries unquestionably make things worse but yeah, when I when I sprung onto all this information, when I sort of got forced into into considering sleep as being the problem that I was dealing with with the seals, you know, these guys aren't running around with iPhones. You know, um, I mean, they're 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 working at night with nods on, right? Yeah. So they have like night vision goggles shining light in their eyes and whatever. Um, but you know, they you know they have uh, you know they just had basically disrupted. Uh, you know, not really even shift work, just chaotic sleep. Um, and, you know, we have shift workers and these chaotic schedules of everybody wanting to work 20, you know, every business wanting to be operating 24 hours a day has contributed to that a lot as well. And, and uh, you know, the military is no different. You know, this, this war, if you think about it, this is the first war where night vision goggles is really like, you know, a major player. And so yeah. we, we do almost everything, you know, well, I guess the war is technically over, but we did almost everything thing at night um and not just seals but you know kind of all the all the military forces did um so strategic standpoint that was the best time to yeah when people can't see you they have a harder time shooting you so like that's a it's a it's a clever way to go about business if if that's your concern yeah right so from from a sleep perspective uh, for the Navy SEALs, I mean, obviously, they have to go without sleep for several days on certain missions. How do you right. help them deal with that? Because we know the ramifications of even, say, one or two nights of poor sleep can make you more insulin resistant, can make you more prone to diabetes and other chronic diseases. How do you mitigate that? 
Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's it's very difficult, and that was, of course, my challenge. I mean, uh, for people to know anything about SEAL training, you know, part of our basic training is Hell Week, where we go for an entire week without sleep. So, what sort of message does that send to you know, like these young guys who aren't even SEALs yet? I mean, this is just part of the culture, and then of course, night ops and you know, chaotic sleep schedules and being up for many days at a time, lots of times. Um, you know, I I went in there and I pushed. Um, you know, sleep mitigation stuff, uh, you know, or fatigue mitigation stuff, like, you know, really crazy stuff like naps uh, or, you know, bright light, you know, uh, when you're loading up your ops, you do like, you know, high lux lighting in their loadout bays where, you know, when they're loading up their weapons and their gears and whatever, you have like, you know, these 10,000 lumen uh, lights shining down on them, you know, getting them to crank up music, like essentially adrenalizing them. Yes. Uh, and then teaching them sort of the other side of it. Me and a, and a psychologist uh, at the SEAL team, a good friend of mine named Eric Potterett, worked a lot on decreasing their sympathetic tone when they came back. Just, and really, all you can really do, you're never going to tell you know, SEAL leadership, oh, you know, you, sh- you really shouldn't be, you know, going out on missions at night because it's bad for, you know, your the health of your people 30 years from now. Um, they, you know, they're, they're not going to buy into that. So it was really mitigation around the sleep deprivation part itself, which is, it looks a lot like, uh, you know, polyphasic sleep. And, you know, polyphasic sleep is sustainable for a, for a little while, so if you're talking about three or four days. All the little mitigation things, all of the arousal control, sympathetic realignment, all of those types of things, nutritional stuff involved, all of that. Uh, and then, but the, the main thing was when the guys aren't working to get them to value sleep and to sleep as well as they possibly can when they're not working, right? When yeah. they're not forced out of this. Um, and a metaphor I give all the time, like if I told you, hey, Jimmy, I'm going to starve you for a month, okay? But it's not going to be now. Next month, I'm going to starve you for a month. What would you do this month? Eat up. You you would eat everything (laughs) you could possibly eat, right? But for some reason, if you tell people, I'm going to sleep deprive you next month. They don't sleep up. No, they actually do the opposite. They try to practice not sleeping. Ah, (laughs) yeah. So everybody thinks, oh, yeah, I got to get skilled. I got to get used to it. I got to get used to this feeling of not sleeping. And so I work harder at not sleeping before I go through this period. So is it a zero sum gain? Like you get 12 hours every day for a month, but then you go zero for a whole month and it balances out? Does it really work that way? It it doesn't at all. No, it doesn't at all. But what what you are going into, and if you think about like who, like who are the, who are the yeah the most elite sort of performers in this in this group you know they're these 19 to 28 year old guys who are still you know very uh, metabolically and physiologically and physically very strong and resilient uh, it gets much much harder for you know the older guys who actually have the experience and yeah. you know know the job better um, so you know the younger guys are much more much more um, resilient and can bounce back from it but the older guys really valued. Uh, re- valued it the most, and and by older and still language, I'm talking like 30s. you know, thirty. Yeah, I mean thirty and up. Yeah. Those are the guys who were coming into my office and complaining of essentially, you know, really what their complaints sounded like. Which is, you know, these guys have metabolic syndrome, uh, depression, erectile dysfunction, like all these things that these guys shouldn't have. And and uh, you know, it was all sleep, and they were using sleep aids because. 
they thought that was sleep and that yep. was that was what military medicine was doing for them and like hey you have this crazy chaotic sleep schedule here just take these pills when you're flying over there or when you um, you know like here's a, here's a common problem for seals they're forward deployed uh, a lot of people don't know this but there's really like jockeying for jobs right so people are um, the the sort of middle level management of the SEAL teams is going to the higher levels and saying, hey, man, let us go do this up. And then, the, you know, the maybe Rangers are going, hey, the, no, we want to do this. And Delta's going, no, no, we want to do this. And so everybody's kind of jockeying for these ops. And so you don't you don't have the luxury of knowing, oh, we're going to do this then and then you know, a couple of weeks from now. Like, like, that doesn't happen. So you may wake up at uh, you know, seven o'clock in the morning and your leadership may say, hey, man, we're going out uh, tonight at two. So if you want any, you know, if you're going to be up for a couple of days, if you want to catch up on your sleep, you know, you got like four or five hours before we're going to start our planning. We're like, well, I just woke up. So how am I going to go to sleep? Easy. Take an Ambien, man. And then, and then when you wake up all groggy, what am I going to do? Oh, just Red Bull, you know, rip it, you know, caffeine, coffee. Wow. Nicotine gum, whatever it took, you know. Um, so up, they were down, up, down, up, down. Yeah. And you know, and, and they were just essentially drugging themselves awake and drugging themselves to sleep. And as you say, I mean, that wreaks havoc on all all metabolism. But you know, definitely your hormones are. In, and of course, I mean, insulin in my mind is like the hormone. Like that's that's the key hormone. Insulin and cortisol are really you know the major hormones of the body. Everything else is kind of secondary, but they they all interact and they all play together. And and I and you've you've probably experienced this with uh, you know in, with your consultations and teaching people about the the low carbohydrate uh, diets. I imagine that it, some people do really poorly. You know, some people probably sleep really poorly when they first start that. Um, well, and, it's, and there's a theory about that that's kind of bantered uh, about in the paleo community. The reason people do uh, don't sleep well when they first start on a ketogenic diet, for example, Kirk, they say because a ketogenic diet raises cortisol. Of course, it's doing it apart from the insulin connection because insulin tends to go down eating ketogenic. So what would be raising cortisol within a ketogenic context if it's not raising the insulin? Yeah, so uh, I, I've actually done uh, done quite a bit of a lot of my clients do a ketogenic diet. Um, and, and I'm really good friends with Peter Atia, who I'm sure you're I've a lot of, of the listeners are, are, are pretty familiar with, and he's, he's a brilliant guy. Um, and I, and I'm actually, uh, I'm actually Peter's doctor and Peter's my doctor. Oh, cool. And so when we, we first started working on his sleep, we did notice that pattern. However, it's a completely normal pattern. So his AM cortisol was higher than one would expect, but it was, still it was still high in the morning and low at night so it wasn't as though he was having this reversal which a lot of people uh speculate um there's i mean there's a million uh, there's a million little neuronal pathways that all all play into this but this you know the simplest way to to think about it and just uh, I, I try to be conceptual whenever i can so that people don't have to geek out on a million different uh you know biological pathways to figure something out if um if your body, if, so the only animals on the planet that purposefully sleep deprive themselves are humans. The only time any other animal sleep deprives themselves, and they don't do it by choice, is when they're starving. So when you're starving, your body starts raising stress hormones because you're starving. And when you're starving, you want to be able to travel greater distances and you want to be more impulsive and try different foods, maybe get closer to humans, eat out of trash cans, you know, things that animals wouldn't ordinarily do. Yeah. 
Now, if you have really poor insulin sensitivity and you're first starting this, you know, you're first starting out a ketogenic diet or even a low carbohydrate diet and you have really crappy insulin sensitivity, guess what? Like your body perceives that as starving, right? Yeah. Like, so that's essentially what's going on. And then, and then I've never seen it last. Like I've never seen somebody say, I've been on a ketogenic diet for eight months and I'm still having problems sleeping. It's, right. you know, it's two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, something like that. Um, and, so it's and then, during that shift from becoming a, a, from a sugar burner to fat burner, there's yeah. something happening in that transition period of fuel uh, partitioning. Yeah, it's it's sense it's simply my belief is is simply you have such low insulin receptor density, yeah, uh, and you have now you know lowered your, essentially your insulin, um, and and you know, your insulin spikes from you know, the type of diet you're eating, and so your cells just simply aren't getting enough nutrients, and your body thinks you're starving. And then that leads you know that can lead to cortisol spikes, but it can just simply lead to shifts in alternating rhythms and other things that you know your other organs think they should be awake and you know enough things kind of start happening in your body to where you know your body just feels awake and you get up and and like i said the whole that's an evolutionary protective device to allow you to go forward for more food um to not starve to death and it, and once you get that insulin sensitivity in line and the insulin receptor density comes back because insulin's running at such lower levels it all goes away and we know through we know through um, like antidepressants and things that that we know downregulate receptors that re- you know receptor density changes take you know somewhere around four to six weeks maybe as long as eight weeks and so it all makes sense to me and and at a very simple level like that. Sure. Now, one thing I've heard anecdotally from a lot of people who eat a ketogenic diet is they're not uh, needing to sleep as much so they can get away with six and a half, seven hours, uh, you know, eating this way. And it's a good six and a half, seven hours of quality sleep, whereas someone else who's eating a sad diet or like the standard UK diet, I now call the sub diet. Uh, if you eat that way, then that can uh, possibly need like eight or eight and a half hours to get the that same feeling. The suck diet, you like the that? Suck diet. I did not. I've never heard that before. That's going on the. That's going on the whiteboard right there. Boom. The suck diet. Oh, that's funny. Uh, yeah. So I. I think. Uh, I, I. I think that there's some truth to that, and and the way that people feel. Now, unfortunately, there's not enough. Uh, there's not a really robust set of data about right. that. Um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be super brief and simplistic about this. But you know, the, the, basically, the way we've we've come up with the sleep number that that we've come up with how long people should sleep is by letting people sleep as much as they want, as long as they want to for an extended period of time, and then just seeing where they average out. And they start out, most people start out sleeping at about 12 and a half hours a day if you give them 14 hours a day in a dark, cold room. And then over the course of about a month, they go down to about seven and a half hours. And then yep. if we give them some kind of test, physical, mental reaction, problem solving, doesn't matter. Um, they seem to do best, like that's sort of their peak performance. And then we take a little bit of sleep away and they do worse. And so that's how we come across that number. We haven't done that with a ketogenic diet, but if you think about it, one, I mean, obviously one of the main benefits of the ketogenic diet is that your brain is now using ketones as a fuel instead of simply glucose. And it's not exclusive, obviously it's not a complete switchover, but you lower oxidation a lot. And so, you know, a lot of what's happening when you're sleeping is getting rid of 
of, you know, let's just call them neurotoxins, super vague term, but, you know, things that aren't healthy kind of have in your brain or those are inflammatory mediators or whatever. Um, And so you need to flush those things out. It stands to reason that a lot of those, you know, a lot of those products that you're flushing out during sleep are coming from the oxidation of glucose in your brain. So if you're, you know, getting 60% of your brain fuel from ketones, there, the oxidative pathway doesn't happen and you don't have those oxidative, you know, free radical buildup and other things like that. So it would make sense to me logically that, that people can probably get away with a little less sleep and, and, uh, and feel fine on the ketogenic diet. Do I, the I ketones the themselves, though, act as some sort of a mechanism in this whole equation, Kirk, where you can have less and yet still feel just as refreshed? Well, I I think I think the refreshing aspect of it is is um, so there there's you know there's a litany of things going on when you go to sleep and while you sleep and it all changes throughout the night. Different cycles of sleep do different things, but again, one of the major things when you when you stay up for a prolonged period of time, if we were to like stick a needle through your skull into your brain and pull out some CSF, we would see all these inflammatory products. And these and the longer you're awake, the more these things build up. And these things like TNF alpha and interleukin six and things that people have probably heard of just associated with generalized inflammation. And all of these things negatively impact your brain function. So the postu- my postulate is if you if you're actually using ketones as your fuel you're going to have fewer of these inflammatory products. You're going to have less of that stuff causing sleep pressure. Naturally. Uh, yeah. And so you have less sleep pressure. So when you wake up, you've, you know, you feel better because you've managed to flush out all that stuff in a shorter period of time. There's other things that are going on, you know, hormonal releases and, you know, fix, you know, repairing body systems and muscles and tendons and ligaments and all that during deep sleep and, you know, forming durable pathways and all that. But, um, the other thing I would suspect is obviously in order to get high enough ketones to you know be ketotic, you have to eat quite a bit of fat. And you know where what does myelin come from? So if you're you're repairing and able to uh, remyelinate better and faster and form durable pathways faster, um, you can probably get away with less sleep. I, I mean, again, I n- nobody that I know of has done this study to sort of say how much you know. How much sleep does somebody on a ketogenic diet need and what sort of ketone levels would correspond to whatever? I mean, are you running 1.5 ketones or are you running 6.5 ketones? There would probably be some substantial difference in that. So it sounds like Doc Parsley should take that up uh, with some researcher somewhere that would be very interested. I know funding would be the biggest thing. Yeah. (laughs) And the will to want to do it because who cares about ketogenic within the mainstream health circles? Exactly. Exactly. Although I think that's changing. I, I think it is. I, I think it's it's coming around. Um, and yeah, I mean, I know uh, myself. I pr- I mean, I've always been like a long sleeper. So for me, I've when I'm when I'm well rested, when I feel good, I'm a nine hour a night sleeper. Wow. Um, but I've been ketotic for. What's that like? <laughs> <laughs> but but I I've been ketotic for the past two years. Yeah. And um and when I really go into some really crazy uh, ketosis, and I do that for various reasons. Um, I definitely just don't need as much sleep. Um, I miss, but I don't. I mean, I'm not a five hour guy or a six hour guy. I'm, yeah. a, I'm still a seven and a half hour, kind which of is guy. short for you. Which is short for me. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I mean, I think it's reasonable, and I, 
I would say, I mean, I'd, I'd have to kind of go back through my patient notes and talk to them again, again about it, but I can think of at least three or four clients that I have on ketogenic diets and, and ketotic diets who's, who have said the same thing. That uh, I mean, they're, they're usually taking my sleep products too. So yeah. I just thought, well, you know, yay Kirk, it was my sleep product that <laughs> made them need less sleep. But yeah, yeah. maybe, it, you know, maybe uh, the key... Yeah, you know, the ketogenesis is playing a big part in it as well. That's a that's a very good point. Well, and by extension from that, I've been doing some N equals one experiments because you know I love doing those things uh, okay. on fasting in the past six or eight months. Uh, I'm writing a book about it coming out later this year. But one of the things that a lot of people that have been joining me on these fasts have been saying is they're they're sleeping less, and I would assume it's the same mechanism as a ketogenic diet that's causing yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I'm actually with you right now. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, hopefully, hopefully none of the underwriters hear this, uh, but <laughs> I, I'm, I'm doing a, uh, I'm, I'm getting a, a, um, a life insurance policy for the, for the business. It's not, you know, it's, it's on my life, but it's for the bit, you know, for the business, of course, yeah. so kind of everything's built around me. And so if I die, they have to figure out how to keep this thing going. <laughs> Um, and unfortunately, because of the way I'm built, I am considered morbidly obese by, that's uh, stupid. By, Anybody by, that's met you, that is so silly. <laughs> yeah. But it, they purely, they purely base it on BMI. And Ugh. so I, I mean, I walk around 245, 250. And it's all so, muscle. <laughs> and I'm, I'm a pretty lean guy. I mean, that's, that's probably like, you know, well, well maybe 12, 10 to 12% body fat. I'm, you know, I'm 250. Uh, and so I have to get down to 220 so or you're below. So you going to get rid of some of your muscle? Yeah, unfortunately I have to. So, so I, Find um, another insurance underwriter. <laughs> Mutual of Omaha doesn't well, even care about your BMI. Well, the, what they what they do, you know, is, is once uh, you know, once they kind of do all your physical and blood work and all that stuff, which I know all that'll turn out well. You know, part of that actuarial table is your BMI, and I've learned I learned this from my last, uh, like my personal life insurance policy that um, I, you know, I, you know, they asked me all these questions about myself. I answered all the questions, and then when they came to my house and did my physical and weighed me. Um, my premium doubled because um, I because I weighed I think it was two forty three and um, they they said uh, you know you know that's just put you in this BMI category over here so you're in the red and I'm like all right wow. well, I, I won't I won't make that mistake again so of course they do the same thing with cholesterol levels too as oh, if that yeah. means something yeah they don't even get me started on that <laughs> that's a whole nother show <laughs> Jesus Christ yeah like uh, that's 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 it, you know, whatever. That's that's one of the most frustrating things of my life, right there. Trust it's, me, I'm there with you. I'm trying to get a, a life insurance policy to take care of Christine if I were to pass, and yeah. it's the same thing. Uh, they're they're blocking little things here and there that don't really mean anything, and yeah, you just have to play the games. And I hate that you have to lose some of that great muscle on your body to to get your weight down out of the morbidly obese category. Anybody yeah. that meets you in person, and you're going to be at Paleo FX this year, you are yeah. not even close to morbid. Obese. I wouldn't even call you overweight. No, I, I'm I'm definitely not an overweight guy. Gosh. I mean, when, when I when I weigh two twenty, I mean, I look like I'm a fitness competitor or something. Like I'm like that's that six pack ripped like ridiculously low fat for me to be that low. Yeah. Um, but fortunately, I you know I'm I'm a mesomorph and I did, I gain it back pretty quickly. I just you know I as soon as I start eating again and 
it just it all comes back so. so you're fasting to get rid of muscle is that what you were going to say yeah i mean I'm, I'm really i'm just i'm not uh i'm not i wouldn't call it fasting i'm just hypocaloric so i got you so i'm like running 800 on, calories i'm running on yeah somewhere between like five to eight hundred calories a day wow. right now. uh just because i had I, we just recently uh and my wife and i just recently had a wedding anniversary and my birthday was a few days after so um you know, we had to had to live my life, and uh, it just gave me a really short window to to get wow. rid, to get rid of this weight. You're going to get into single digit body fat doing this too. Oh yeah, for sure, wow. uh, for sure. And I and I I won't enjoy a moment of it, but it it, it hopefully will be worth it. In a so long now time. I'm curious, what are you going to eat in 500 to 800 calories? What are you eating? Oh man, so <laughs> let me tell you about my delicious diet. Uh, I have a I have a coffee in the morning. Yeah, um, bulletproof. Uh, no, not not kind of. I would mean, be I, all I, your five hundred to eight hundred calories exactly. if you did that. <laughs> I, I put uh, I put one teaspoon of coconut oil in it, and I put one uh, one tablespoon of uh, heavy cream in it. Yeah. So my coffee is about one hundred and twenty calories. Bulletproof every, light. <laughs> yeah, bulletproof light. And then every piece of bacon I eat is forty calories. So oh. I, I'll have a couple of pieces of bacon or a small piece of sausage or something. And then I don't eat for the rest of the day. Uh, and then I have dinner, um, and I'll just usually have like a pretty small portion of some sort of meat, uh, cased in sour cream or butter or, you know, like something really fatty. And then, uh, you know, some sort of vegetables that are just completely, uh, you know, saturated in, in um, some sort of fat, you know, uh, olive oil or butter. Or, so basically you're doing a calorie-restricted keto Oh yeah, I'm still completely keto. Like my my ketone levels are like through the, the roof. I'm sure. Oh yeah, yeah, they're like in the fives and sixes. And blood oh, sugar in the fifties, sixties, maybe. Yep, I actually uh, actually did a blood sugar a couple of weeks ago that was forty three. Oh yeah, and I felt fine though. People felt, freak out about that, yeah. Kirk. I get emails oh. all the time. Oh my gosh, I've been fasting for five days and I had a blood sugar of forty eight and blood ketones of seven and I'm going, yep, that, that's why the ketones are stepping in the place of where that blood sugar would be. You're not a you're not a sugar burner anymore. You're a fat burner, so you don't yeah. need as much blood sugar. Yeah, and and uh, and if I had more time, I would simply just do this, uh, well, like what I'm doing, and I've had to do this one other time, and I, yeah. that's all. That's all I did is um, I just did the restricted, you know, keto, um, restricted carbohydrate or restricted calorie uh, keto, um, but I didn't change my workout routines at all. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I, I'm a fit guy and I like to work out, but I'm not obsessive. I'm not, I'm not a 25 year old seal anymore, so I don't try to be, uh, but right now, because I have such a short window, yeah. I'm spending, I'm spending like an hour and a half in the gym every day on top of this. And it's glycolytically just, demanding oh, or yeah, well, I'm doing both. So, um, a mix, so, yeah. um, but you know, most of that time is spent, you know, walking on a, on a treadmill, sure. you know, like four miles an and hour. And you're not getting hungry? Oh my God, I'm getting hungry. I'm getting <laughs> crabby. I'm like, I'm, I'm an irritable old man right now. I just want to, yeah. Giving keto a bad name doing that. I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. uh, well, what you're doing actually is even more intense than Dr. Thomas Seafried's cancer ketogenic diet. At least he allows a thousand calories mm-hmm. on his uh, keto for cancer. So you're, you're basically doing a more intense therapeutic uh, ketogenic diet 
than even the cancer diet. Yeah, and and what I what I found um, when you know what I found when I did this for um, a, another evaluation that we had kind of had a similar backstory to it was that when I was when I'm this hypocaloric, even though I'm ketotic, it still it would still it still drops my total uh, carb- uh, my total cholesterol by about 70 points. Oh yeah. So it puts me, you know, down into their safe range of cholesterol as well, uh, which is really exciting for me. And I feel so healthy because of that. Yeah. When I did a, I did a several fasting experiments the past few months. And the one I did in September was 17 and a half days in a row, which was pretty hardcore. And I tested lipids and all sorts of things and total cholesterol in those 17 and a half days dropped a hundred points. Yeah, and uh, what was it, uh, Christine? Was it lipoprotein little a that dropped from? It was like four hundred something. I've always had really high lipoprotein little a, but four hundred something down to one thirty. Yeah, so it, it's amazing how quickly you can shift things that other people think are important. <laughs> yeah, in a in a dramatic way. Yeah, and the and the unfortunate side effect of that though is, that, of course, you're you're. Um, you're negatively impacting all of your sex hormone production and That's all right. your all of your anabolic capabilities, which, yep. um, which you know, which is why that's just not obviously infinitely sustainable. Right. Uh, yeah. So, oh, you know, whatever. It's part of life. It's one of the games we play, and uh, you know. Uh, talk to me on the 12th of April. I'll be a happy guy. <laughs> I will ask you at Paleo FX how it, how it yeah. went. So that'll be fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We'll have um, to get you on Periscope and talk about it or something. That'd be fun. I'm going to eat about 7,000 calories. Oh, I bet you are. <laughs> Just don't overdo it on the protein. That'll kick you out of ketosis. So, exactly. well, before we have to go, let's talk about uh, what you talked about earlier um, and this uh, sleep cocktail product that you put together. Now, last time you were on this show back in October of 2014, you kind of teased us with that. I, I don't think it was fully in development uh, at that point, but now it is. It's out there hot and heavy sleep cocktails.com if people are interested maybe you've heard the sponsor spots here on the podcast in the past few months and wondered about it so we got the horse's mouth here with us today tell us about this product yeah so um this product purely came uh came came to design and and we're actually changing the name um so i don't know when this podcast is coming out but in about a month (laughs) okay so it'll still be sleep cocktails in about a month it's going to be um it's going to be Sleep Remedy is, is the name. Uh, but uh, Good job, by the way. I thought yeah. cocktails was always kind of weird. <laughs> it was a terrible name, but unfortunately, I'm a doctor, and I'm not a marketer, and I didn't know what the hell I was doing, and I just said it. So here's how come it, to me. Here, here's how it came about. So I was I was working with all the SEALs who were coming in with all these complaints, and I determined that, you know, I, I think, uh, obviously, TBI is a big issue for those guys, which unfortunately you know metabolically and every, in every other sort of test you can look at looks identical to sleep deprivation um and then adrenal fatigue looks pretty identical to sleep deprivation as well so um you know all of that was playing but you know i i really honed in on sleep i you know i, I did a lot of research about the deleterious uh, effects of uh, sleep drugs but you know it's just like pain medications when people are addicted to opiates people are just like well just take the opiates off i'm like well yeah but then they're in freaking pain all the time and they're gonna you know go out and steal opiates or something so 
you have to you have to replace it, and so that's where this came from. And really, um, you know, no doctor learns anything about sleep in medical school. We don't learn any, anything about nutrition. We don't learn anything about exercise. We don't learn anything about sleep. We don't what learn do anything you know? about stress. <laughs> yeah, like I can recognize, uh, you know, I can recognize disease, and yeah. uh, I can diagnose that, and I can uh, give you the correct pill for that, or refer you to the right uh, specialist. That's what that's what I learned in medical school. Pharma- uh, pharmacological. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, so I, I really had to just educate myself on sleep and I, you know, was in a great position being the physician for the SEALs. Lots of people knew who SEALs were and were excited to, you know, train me and work with me and, you know, let me, you know, do little proctorships under them and all this. Um, and, you know, the first thing that came to my mind was, hey, man, these guys are working at night and they're sleeping during the day. And even when they are outside, they're covered from head to toe and all this equipment. Right. So they're vitamin D3 deficient. Give them vitamin D. And this is like, you know, eight years ago or something. They're vitamin D3 deficient. Give them that. And they fixed it. Right. Like Doc Crossy fixed it. So. Uh, of course, that helped a little bit. Um, then I found out, well, you know, magnesium's a cofactor for vitamin D3. And okay, so let's add magnesium. In. And, and I just slowly started adding all of these things in there. Building this witch's brew. Yeah, building the witch's brew. And eventually, the seals just started calling it the parsley cocktail because I was called Doc Parsley. They call everybody Doc. You can be, yeah. You can be a nurse, a corpsman, a doctor. Everybody's a doc if you're in the medical world. So, Doc Parsley's, you know, cocktail. So, I'm like, all right, well, that's what we'll call it. We'll call it the sleep cocktail. Um, so, anyways, a uh, uh, little bit of a digression there. But that's how this stupid name came about. Uh, <laughs> sleep was, remedy now, though. Yeah, but a little better uh, term now. Um, and so, you know, the, the more I learned about sleep and the more I just uh, reverse engineered. So, okay, so what's going on? Uh, with our guys that's uh, that's keeping this preventing them from going through the normal cascade of events to in order to sleep and why do they need sleep drugs to be able to get to sleep um, and basically all the sleep cocktail is is the melatonin production pathway and a form of GABA that crosses the blood the blood brain barrier so if you look at what initiates sleep as we were talking about earlier, the reason all of these devices interfere with our sleep is because they stimulate some retinas, uh, some ganglia in, the, in, the, in our retinas that sense blue light. And as long as, and, and my guess is because the sky's blue, right? Um, as long as the sun's up, the sky's blue, you have blue light coming in your eyes, your body thinks it should be awake. When the sun goes down, the blue light goes away, your body starts this cascade of events. Um, it does a lot of things, but you know, two sort of really important, two of the, I'd say the major players are that you produce melatonin. Melatonin then shuts down stress hormones and decreases adrenal functions, and you produce this neurotransmitter called GABA. And what GABA does is go up to the big neocortex, the big human brain, what you think of when you see a picture of a human brain, like that big wrinkly mass, and it slows it down, essentially. It decreases how sensitive you are to your environment. Obviously, when you're asleep, you're not aware of your environment. So one of the things that has to happen is you have to slow that bit down. So that's all that the sleep product product is. You know, I had to take this drug away from them that was essentially binding to GABA receptors a thousand times strongly or stronger and more intensely than GABA. Yeah. And it's essentially just shutting their brain off, Abnormal. which is why 
which yeah, which is why people go to the grocery store and go buy hookers and you know go down to the kitchen and cook meals and all this on Ambien and have no recollection of it because you've just completely dissociated their brain. You've just kind of did you say go off. buy hookers? Yes, there, there's a guy who went. There's a guy who won a court case. He got arrested. Sleep for fornicating. Sl- what do you? Got? He got arrested for soliciting <laughs> prostitute for soliciting a prostitute, and he he got off of the case by. You know, them proving that um, people can essentially be running through their life oh completely amnestic while being on a sleep drug. I have heard it and, all. And have no idea what they're doing. They really <laughs> have they no idea. they had to prove blood levels of it in a system? And- <laughs> no, I think all they had to do was, was get the real data. Of course, when, you, when, the, when any kind of pharmaceutical company submits uh, their research, they get to cherry pick their research because yeah, sure. they, they own it all. <clears throat> all they had to do is dig back and say, we want your real data to find out how dissociative this was and how much amnesia it causes. So wow. I have a, uh, I have a, a personal friend who's, who's a nurse. Um, and this is before she knew I, you know, this is, she knew that I dealt with sleep and, um, we were talking one day and she's like, Oh my God, let me tell you this story. So she goes to, uh, you know, one of the doctors she's worked with and like, man, I'm having a really hard time sleeping and blah, blah, blah. And so her, uh, her doctor gives her Ambien. And so she goes home and she takes Ambien and her kids just happen to be staying with her, with their father this weekend. And she takes Ambien and then she goes downstairs in the morning and, uh, she sees her house in complete disarray. I mean, there's things knocked over. There's like all these candy wrappers and Twinkie wrappers and ramen. Yeah. Like somebody like, you know, meth heads have been in her house, like partying it up or something. She runs back upstairs, locks herself in the bathroom and calls 911 and the cops come and they investigate everything. And it was her. She had, she had, you know, taken this ambient, completely dissociated, went downstairs and I, you know, ransacked her, her kitchen and ate all of her kids' junk food and was, you know, and had no memory of it whatsoever. That's awesome. Uh, that's how terrible <laughs> this stuff is. And to think that you could give us, you know, you could give somebody like a seal Ambien, right? And you say, okay, oh you're, my gosh, we're going to take this Ambien. And then it's like, oh shit, everything's just changed. Timeline's different. We need to leave. Uh, like we need to leave in like a few hours and we're going to go assault this target. You want that guy with a machine gun, like next to you, behind you? Like, hell no. I mean, I could, so anyways, I had to give them something to replace it. Um, and you know, this isn't as powerful as Ambien. It's not like you take it and you completely dissociate, but it's pretty powerful though. Yeah. But you've taken it and it definitely works. Like it definitely helps you go to sleep. And what I tell people is that if you if you practice all the sleep hygiene and sleep ritualization stuff, this is you know this is an aid. This is a, you know it's what's called a supplement. It's supplemental to that. And if you can sleep without it, great. But it definitely works. I mean, it's worth trying if you have any difficulty going to sleep or staying asleep. Um, and as you know, with with diet, and I'm sure with you know the people you talk to and coach and you know your clients and so forth. Um, you know, there's ideal and there's reality, right? And and here's the ideal. Here's what you should do. But here's what I can actually do, given my life and all of these complexities. And you know, supplements are meant to kind of bridge that gap. And if you if you just simply have a lifestyle where you can't have great sleep hygiene, 
you know, it's a good product to take every night, right? Every day. Like if you're if you're a shift worker, you're screwed. Like you're screwed as long as you're on shift work. There's yep. no around that. So you might as well do everything in your power, you know. Um, but if if you're somebody who just needs it for you know periodically, whatever. I mean, it's it's just a supplement to help you. And and I obviously still recommend doing everything else um, that you should be doing to you know sleep hygiene, sleep ritualization wise, which I'm sure everybody on your show knows about, you know, all of your audience has probably heard all that stuff a million times. It's, it's in every publication on the planet right now. Well, this, this totally matters in the realm of health. Uh, that's one reason I contacted you, uh, to ask about your sleep cocktail product and you were very kind to send me some. And I started taking it Kirk and I was having maybe six and a half ish hours of sleep a night, really struggling and I was noticing I was putting on some weight and and various other things that people don't even think about when they don't get enough sleep. And then you you start taking your product and I was starting to get eight, eight and a half hours. I think my record, what's my record, Christine? Like nine hours, 17 minutes. And I never sleep that much. I'm not Kirk Parsley. (laughs) I'm lucky if I get seven and a half. So, uh, but pretty consistently over seven and a half, every once in a while, I'll still have kind of a five and a half, six hour night, but most hours it's seven and a half to eight and a half. So that's, uh, it's, it's a good testimonial to what this is. Again, sleep cocktails, Dot com is how you can learn more about this if you're struggling with your sleep because it definitely will have ramifications on your health as well. Yeah. And, and you know, to your point, something as simple as, uh, you know, the, you know, the difference between six hours and seven and a half hours of sleep a night, which you know, doesn't doesn't sound like a huge number. We're talking about small numbers here. That difference is 14.3 pounds of body fat per year. Wow. Um, so if you're consistently sleeping that much, I mean, it, um, and, you know, and, and there's some other like really damning data about performance and everybody's kind of heard the blood alcohol comparisons and, and, uh, that type of stuff as well. Um, and you know, mo- and most of the time they, you know, they're quoting, you know, staying up for 24 hours or 36 hours and then people just kind of blow that off cause they don't do that. But there's great data that if you sleep six hours per night, Every night for eleven nights in a row, you perform you perform as though you have a blood alcohol level of 0.1, just like somebody who's been up for twenty four hours. Send that out to twenty two days, twenty sleep six hours a night, twenty two days in a row, and you are a basket case. It's like you haven't you perform exactly as though you haven't slept for forty eight hours. So your wow. error rate, your reaction time, your processing, your problem solving skills, your willpower, like your mood, your communication, all of that is just like you are a, you know, a blithering drunk, you know, like you're just completely drunk on insomnia. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, you know, one, one of the metaphors I, I, I threw it out on my Ted talk, but one of the metaphors I use in a, in a lot of sort of my shorter speeches where I'm just kind of trying to be punchy and get people's attention, um, it, you know, is if you were about to have surgery, you know, this urgent life-saving surgery that was just kind of shocked and, you know, thrown upon you and you had no idea this was happening and, you know, something terrible happened, you have to have surgery and you're in a foreign hospital, you're not foreign, you know, but you're in a hospital that's not familiar to you, you're just a doctor you don't know, comes up to you. And, you know, has you sign some paperwork and while you're signing paperwork, he, you know, he throws back a shot of whiskey and then, you know, puts the whiskey glass away and, um, you know, says, you know, any more questions and like, and, you know, ask for show of hands, who's comfortable with this right now? Not a single person in the room. Right. right. And the doctor says, oh, no, 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 don't, don't worry about it. 
because I never have more than one shot every two hours. And for my guy, for a size, a guy, a guy my size, that will never result in a blood alcohol level above 0.05, which is well below legal intoxication. So yeah. we should go for it. Well, guess what? If that guy sleeps six hours a night, six and a half hours a night, he's running around that drunk all the time, like wow. as a minimum. And you know, and and then I always, uh, and some some of the times I'll make the joke. You say, okay, well they're well, they're going to send this guy home because he's drinking, and they're all pissed off with him. They're going to keep the guy uh, who is on call to do your surgery. <laughs> he he hasn't slept in thirty six hours, and he's going to be drunker than the guy who is drinking alcohol. At Would he point. fail a roadside sobriety test? <laughs> I don't think he will, and and I think the reason it would it would depend. Uh, but the the primary reason that that wouldn't happen is as long as he had enough adrenal uh, adrenal function ah. to get enough of an adrenal rush to be able to get through it, which is why seals don't go on target and do completely stupid things when right. they're sleep deprived. It's because they get enough of an uh, of an adrenaline push, they get into this fight or flight. And then they start, you know, their training totally starts taking over. And, you know, some, something like balancing or saying the alphabet, you would, you would just super, you know, hone, hone in on that. Unless they took Ambien. <laughs> Unless they took Ambien. Yeah. Like Ambien, yeah. Ambien, they could be, uh, you know, you know, tell them to do the alphabet and they'd start describing a you know, purple unit. Here. Or do it uh, in Chinese or. Yeah. Yeah. There's all bets are off with that. Man. I mean, it's, that's not even them anymore. Like that, you know. That's that's who, that's who that part of our brain is. Um, that is the part that makes us who we are, and it's right, gone. Right. It's gone. It's completely dissociated. So um, bad juju. And then you know, alcohol hey, you know, as a sleep aid has uh, some very similar problems to that. But it really, really, really messes with the anabolic processes of repair and you know, fighting off disease and parasites sure. and and repairing your muscles and tendons and ligaments and all that stuff. That, that's what alcohol really impacts even more. Wow. Well, yeah. we are way over time of what I normally do on a show, but you know what? You are an interesting dude, so I love I'm talking to you. I'm a gibbet, man. <laughs> <laughs> You're an interesting dude to talk to, Dr. Kirk Parsley. Uh, visit his website, docparsley.com, spelled just like the herb. And uh, sleepcocktails.com is the website for his amazing sleep assistance um, product that you can take. It's a really great supplement. Like I said, I've been taking it a couple months now, and it's uh, totally rocked my world when it comes to sleep. So thank you for developing that. And thanks for being here today on the Living La Vida Low Carb Show. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Jimmy. Thanks for having me on the show. Coming up next time on the Living La Vida Low Carb Show. We'll have another LLVLC show classic episode with Dr. Brad Hoopingarner. Get show notes for today's episode at theliveinlowcarbshow.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review at iTunes. Thanks for listening to the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show. We'll see you next time. Disc of light.